Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vinitali International Wine and Spirits Exhibition. The 54th edition of Vinitali will be held from the 10th to the 13th of April, right here in Verona. To discover more about Vinitali and get your tickets, visit vinitali.com. This year, the Italian Wine Podcast will be live and in person in Pavilion 6, Stand A7. So come on down and say hello. Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. So, thanks for listening in, and let's get to the interview. Hello, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. My guest this week is Steve Melcheski, who is the president of USA Wine West, which is one of the more well-regarded service importers in the U.S. market. And we'll get into some details of what a service partner, a service importer is. But Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Steve. Glad to be here. Can you give us a brief outline or you know bio on um, your experience in the industry, how USA Wine West came about, uh, and then we'll get into some of the later manifestations of the company. Well, I've been involved in the wine industry for oh, probably over 40 years in some way or the other. Uh, fell in love with it on a German vineyard in 1976, so it goes back a ways. I spent time working both at the retail level and then managing a small wholesale import company in California. During that time, I started to see a need to have a company that would be able to provide access on the import side to wineries from all over the world who couldn't otherwise find a way into the United States. Uh, I've spent time being a sales rep on the street. I've sold wine to restaurants and retailers. I've worked in the retail sector. So I have a very broad base of experience from which to operate. And I think that also gives you, um, I think, a, a, a better background to design the services that you guys provide. Can you tell us the difference between, in general, between a service importer and what I would call a traditional agency brand importer? Yes. So traditional agency brand importers handle the importation and also the sales and marketing. So the technical aspects of importing and the legal aspects of importing, but then also have a sales and marketing team behind them that then commercialize the wines in the marketplace to distributors, state distributors or to retailers or wherever they decide to do that. A service import company really just handles the back office piece of the whole equation. So we handle the administration, the compliance, the, uh, the, the logistics behind it, the warehousing, the invoicing, all the accounting pieces of it. But the sales and marketing is left to the foreign supplier to step up and handle by themselves. When you think about exporters, uh, prospective exporters to the U.S. market, what do you think their fears, their anticipations are, their concerns are when they're first talking to you? And how accurate are those for what actually really matters? I think that there's a, uh, so you have to separate into the, this, this answer into people who know nothing about the U.S. market and have no experience and those who do have experience. And both of them have a set of, of concerns and mis, misapprehensions about the U.S. market that are a little different, right? I mean, that's just the way it goes. So people who don't know the U.S. market always say to me one thing. 
I want to export wine to the United States, which immediately makes me a little bit uh, uncomfortable because the United States is really 50 different markets in a lot of ways. And so it's very difficult for someone who thinks that the United States is like any other country, like exporting to Germany or exporting to Japan. It's not. It's a very different animal. And that, that's one thing that I hear that they just don't understand how the U.S. is organized from the first part. People who have experience here are trying to figure out how to tackle that bigger issue of, I have an importer here, I have an importer there, I have five importers, but I still can't conquer the entire market. How do I have some unified system that allows me to move forward? And those are kind of the, so there's two things at play there. Okay. So there are a couple of things that that, that popped up in that about how, how to be a bigger player and so forth. I think when somebody asks the question, I'm look, you know, I get this a lot, I'm looking for an importer and I push back and say, is that what you're really looking for? Or you're looking for a route to market solution for the United States that fits your brand, which is not necessarily a national importer for your brand because you may be only making 50,000 cases or 50,000 bottles and you only have enough to service one or two markets anyway, so there's no reason to go national. So that that misapprehension, as you stated, is, is often in terms of what they see as their stated objective and what the services are that you can provide relative to what they need. You know, I love what you just said because so many people who come to me and say, I want an, a national importer, I want to sell wine here. I The first thing I say to them is, you know, how much wine do you produce? What is your best route to market? And route to market is really, I think, at the at the heart of all this. Because if you have a route to market that that meets the export needs of, in the United States of your of your company, then you've succeeded. How big that is, how small that is, is sort of irrelevant as long as it meets your needs. And remember, I think that no one in any country who produces wine needs 100% of their wine to be exported to the U.S. They should set aside a portion of that to come to the U.S. Look at the portion. You might be happy with an importer who handles two states and be done. And so those are the things that, you know, are really like that route to market is spot on, Steve. So how does somebody get educated in the U.S. market other than trying and failing by making the same mistakes everybody else made again for the first time? Honestly, I kind of like the failure. Failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you learn, right? Yeah. It's hard, though. It's real hard. <laughs> it's very hard. And sometimes, and look, it's not, it's not, not the same for everyone, but many times I'll look someone in the eye who is small, but has bigger and never been in the US and has no experience. And I'll tell them, why don't you start with one place, find one person and get some experience, get a little bit of knowledge underneath your belt and see where it goes from there. Come back and see me in two years after you do that. That might be a good piece of advice. I think the other way to do that is- And, and rarely taken, my, I would suspect. <laughs> rarely taken. The other way to do that is to talk to people, is to really do your homework, talk to people like you who understand the market, who understand the route to market, talk to people like me who, you know, I have, you know, 30 years of experience in doing this kind of work and then actually come to the U.S. and talk to retailers, talk to wholesalers, do your market research, spend a year traveling to the U.S. into various places and, and, and observing. Learn, don't start selling. Nobody wants to take that advice. They want to come to the U.S. They want to come to the U.S. now. They want an order now. They want to be in market before whatever happens to be coming down the pike. And all of those things tend to be um, inappropriate uh, and probably problematic to them. And they're not going to help success. They're going to maybe 
cause problems. So, so the thing that I, one of the things that I always tell people who want to come into the U.S. market, and this is applies across the board, is your sale is not to a U.S. importer. You need to get that piece out of your mind that you are succeeded if you find an American importer, a United States importer, to import your products into the U.S. That's just stage one. Don't be popping the Prosecco at that. <laughs> so, and, and I mean that in a very serious way. There's a stage two and three, and you, if you're not willing to invest the time and effort into making stage two and three successful, then you won't be successful in this market. And what are those stages, two and three? Well, I, th I think stage stage one, of course, is finding an importer, finding someone who will actually accept you here. An, an import solution may be a better way of stating it. Thank you very much. An import solution, whether whatever that looks like. Um, and it can look like something, a service import or a regular import solution, however big. The second piece is, is to focus on finding a distributor in a state who will say, yes, this product is, is something we want to promote and help help sell. The third piece is now helping that distributor sell the product. And actually, unfortunately, there's a fourth piece, which is sometimes helping the retailers in that market sell the product. So it's not as easy as the old days where you could you know sell a container to an importer and walk away, but it actually has a, a continuity across time and space that you have to be involved in all, in all phases. And I think that's kind of a rude awakening for a lot of people that in every other market they sell it to the importer and the importer takes on the responsibility of marketing the wine in the US that's not the case and and I like to to turn it around on its ear and say let's start with establishing a uh demand in the United States or create some orders by you coming to the U.S. and meeting some people and dining at restaurants and making some early sales so that when you come and talk to an importer, a distributor, that you can assuage their concerns of how do I know it's going to sell by saying I already have people who I have pre-orders on. That's going to, you know, the biggest, the biggest concern they have in my mind is I've, I've heard a thousand of these this week about how great my product's going to be, and 99% of them fail. So the assumption is yours is not going to be any different. You've got to differentiate yourself. And frankly, it is not, I don't think, that hard to differentiate yourself from the majority of everybody else by just doing your homework. So to that end, you are going to be at Vin Italy, <laughs> as will I. Today is March 22nd. This interview will be airing on April 4th, the week before Vin Italy. How would people uh, connect with you, make an appointment with you, contact you in advance of in Italy so that you can teach them all about how the U.S. market works. Well, thank you. Um, you're welcome to go to my LinkedIn page uh, and we can you know, throw up a, a link to that. Steve Melcheski, if you just use my name, you'll find my LinkedIn page. You can send me an email at steve at usawinewest.com. And I, I pick up the phone and call me as well. Uh, and I'm happy to give out that phone number because I, I tend to pick up the phone when people call. It's 207-653-3293. And that is with a 01 for the US. And the interesting thing about that is that's a Portland, Maine phone number. Why are you in Portland and every other importer seems to be someplace else? Not everybody's in New York anymore or L.A. or San Francisco or Atlanta or Chicago, but very few of them are in Portland, Maine. You know, I uh, started my, my, my career by going to law school in Portland, Maine, and this is in the early 1980s, and I uh, got my law degree and practiced law here for a while before I moved to California and, you know, got involved again in the wine business. When I had children, I decided, you know, Maine's a pretty nice place. It has beautiful outdoors. Uh, we hunt, we fish, we canoe, we kayak, we, you know, sail on the ocean, and it's a great place to be. So uh, it really kind of doesn't matter where you're located in the U.S. to be an importer. 
honestly, because we travel all the time anyway. And one of the problems with having an office only in California, and we still have an office in California, is that communication with our European partners was very difficult because you're nine hours away. So you can't solve problems in an easy manner. So our California office tends to deal with a lot of things out of uh, Australia and New Zealand. And our uh, main office tends to deal with a lot of issues that come out of Europe and other places. Okay, that all makes sense. So just recently, there was a change in uh, structure in your company. Can you tell us about that and the significance? Yes, thank you. Um, We were acquired by a a larger company in the service import area called MHW. And uh, that acquisition happened last October after about a two-year get to know you period. And uh, we feel very good about it. Uh, MHW offers us some resources that we didn't have in terms of uh, backup for administrative issues, but they also offer some clearance options so that we can go direct to retail in markets like New York and New Jersey. So it's been a a really great uh, opportunity for me, uh, having run a company by myself for so many years, to have colleagues who have extensive experience uh, on my level and to be able to discuss things with them. So it's, it's been a really good Good move. Okay, so you're still operating independently as as USA Wine West and MHW is operating separately from you. Is that correct? Yes, they, yes, they are. We we cooperate. We we work together. We talk together. I'm on the executive leadership team there. Uh, but we're we're our own sort of wine focused. MHW is very spirits focused. So I don't want to make this a whole wine thing. Uh, we also handle a lot of spirits. USA Wine West does, but MHW is very involved in the spirits. Uh, side of things, wine as well, but we have a very, very strong focus on a lot of wines of terroir, wines of regional importance. And we deal with people like Abazira Novacella, Il Boro out of Tuscany, Elena Valsh, uh, Cantina Hermes out of Sicily. So we have a really broad base in Italy already of, of companies we work with, Cantina de Suave, a, a, lot, a, lot, of, a lot of companies we, we, we work with. And, and it tends to be a little bit of a smaller business, less than 100,000 cases in general but we have some that do more. But uh, that's our strength, and that is something that will be separate. That's kind of what I've seen is that I don't want to call them craft producers. We would call them farmers. I think that's a better, you know, smaller production estate produce things that need perhaps more handholding or need a lot of handholding and explanation. Go ahead. So all, all I'm going to say is that is that I do believe, you know, to your point, I think that wines of terroir, of regional specificity, of importance, like, like some of these places need a presence in the U.S market because they need to be in restaurants they need to be they need to have a have a have a way to be in the US market and having and they need to be able to shift very quickly and a company like ours allows that to happen because we have a very you know a very service oriented ethic in our work so is this something that that is a long-term or permanent solution or is this something that is a um, introductory or rollout period solution you know i uh i've had uh, the thing i always tell people is we either make things better for you and you have a better access to the u.s market or if you gain a way to do it better, then we want to make it easy for you to change. Because the idea here really is to let people succeed in the U.S. market, right? And to do that, we want to have it be that it, it works for you. And as soon as it doesn't work or you have a better way, we, we help you make those transitions. And that's my philosophy. So I like to think about it as, you know, when people are saying, I'm looking for a U.S. importer and then kind of separated into your forever importer and your route to market solution or import solution to get yourself started launched and rolled out to the point that you actually have some traction in the market. And then you have some other assets now that you can shop to other people where the fit might be even better 
because they would include sales and marketing and, and those type of solutions. That's right. Exactly. So so now MHW brings in some of those other, other pieces of the puzzle that might help down the road. And, and don't forget, we also work, you know, to say that I don't do marketing and sales would be an understatement. We have some very talented people we've worked with for a long time uh, who are independent companies. We have we have brokers that we we can refer to. We we run trade shows sometimes. So you can bring sales and marketing solutions to the party as well, um, which I mean that has to be part of it. The thing is, if you know if you just do the logistics piece and you get it in a warehouse, great, you've made progress but you haven't really accomplished the end goal yet, which is to sell it to somebody. I, I, can, I consider that, that our advisory role and referral role by giving people lists of state distributors, by helping them find the right spot to land and having relationships with distributors ourselves that who trust us to say, this is a good company and you should look at them. Those are things that we can help. We can't carry that through all the way, but we can help. So one of the issues that I think ties into a lot of this and... Uh, I've been very active in discussing this subject, and a lot of the people I've been interviewing over the last few weeks and over the next few weeks will be focused on this, is the issue about e-commerce for imported wines. So I'm just going to lay that on the table right now and let you react to that, and I'll ask some specific questions after I gauge your reaction. Thanks a lot, Steve. <laughs> you don't have the answer? Uh, you know, um, my view is that e-commerce for imported wines is a is a minefield and probably at this point in the development of legal structures and physical logistical structures, maybe maybe more more you may find a better way to approach the U.S. market than trying to invest in that. I'm not saying it's not developing, but I'm saying that I am not a huge e-commerce, and I don't mean e-commerce, direct consumer model person in the U.S. for imported wineries. It's very difficult. Yeah. So to to clarify. Um, if you're a domestic winery, the three-tier system you have a you have a pass on the three-tier system. You can sell directly to consumers in about 44 states. If you're an imported winery, you don't have that. You have to go through an importer, and right now, many of the laws are either gray or preclude an importer from selling directly to a consumer. There's a lot of different end runs around that that are still legal, and some that are, you know, just not defined or haven't been uh, ruled upon. The larger issue, I think, is we as Americans buy everything else via e-commerce. The one thing we can't buy conveniently or similarly, you know, in Connecticut, my state, compared to New York and what's illegal in New York is legal in California or mandatory in California. It varies. Um, yet we're, it's kind of like the industry has to be dragged kicking and screaming into the early 2000s. Um, when the rest of the world's, you know, doing e-com for everything. So, so I will, I will distinguish e-commerce here, and you're absolutely right. I 100% agree with you on everything you just said, and I will w want to make a distinguishing point between e-commerce and direct consumer shipments. I think having your distributor be involved in the e-commerce platforms that allow them to work with their retailers to effectuate e-commerce solutions. I think that's really important. That's a really growing area of the world, and I don't think we should downplay that. But that really is not the same as direct-to-consumer shipments. And that, you're right, it's, it's, just, it's just not there yet. 
it might be there someday, but it's really not for imported wineries. Okay. So uh, for, for listeners, um, I gave a presentation at Wine to Wine in October on e-commerce in the U.S. where I kind of laid out or mapped out what you were just talking about, that e-com is the overarching, think of it as the umbrella, and um, under it are a, a bunch of individual solutions. DTC generally is used to mean in the U.S. as direct-to-consumer from a domestic winery, but it also gets confused with e-commerce. So it's really important to be specific about the terms that you're using. And we're also seeing that distributors now are creating e-commerce solutions. Provi is one that's you know, been coming out. I forget who owns that one. Do you remember? Libdib. Oh, and then there's Libdib. Okay. So Provi and Libdib, which are, call them non-traditional solutions to some of these same problems that take slices out of the whole, the, the series of things that has to happen after you sell it through to a distributor. How does it then get to a retailer or to someone who can buy it? And there's a lot of solutions that are kind of taking slices out of that and providing those that may be applicable to brands that are in unique positions. If you've got the ability to actually do the sales or work through selling through a restaurant chain, for something LibDib, uh, we interviewed Cheryl Dursey. You can li listen to her interview in uh, looking up the Italian Wine Podcast, gave a good profile of that. And that's just one example. The distributors themselves are setting up these things. I think what's happening is we all in the trade are recognizing it's a freight train where we're, it's heading. It's The laws are going to change. They're going to be slow but they're going to get there. And maybe something like uh, the pandemic has moved along a lot of, you know, like to-go sales and, you know, sales by restaurants of individual bottles. And there's a whole bunch of hue and cry over whether those things are legal, particularly in New York, which is a, a whole nother subject. But I think you can't separate e-commerce, the larger concept of people finding or dealing with the long tail, people finding the wines that they want that are probably not available at their local package store. The only reason being physical lack of space to put them. And so it naturally fits on the internet to be able to shop a virtual inventory or an endless aisle, as it's called. Right, absolutely. But I will also say that the U.S. wine market in general, 97% of it runs on personal relationships. That's where it counts. And this is my counsel to every single winery, no matter where you're from, experienced or not, that comes in, is that you need to develop personal relationships to succeed in this business because that's how it's sold. It's sold by guys like me who in my 30s, I went out with a bag of wine over my, over my shoulder, store to store in San Francisco, selling imported wines throughout throughout the restaurant and retail world. That's where it really happens. And that's where you have to focus really a lot of your attention because 97% of the business in the U.S. is done that way. Well, but how does somebody sitting in Pescara, Abruzzo, Italy, you know, develop those relationships and, and are there solutions for them of people resident in the U.S. who can help them and work with the brokers? Oh, absolutely. Well, first, I think that person in Abruzzo should come to the U.S. and start to go into retail stores and talk to the people who carry their wines and sit at a consumer tasting for three hours. And don't say a word. Just listen and absorb. Yeah. Exactly. Listen and absorb. Go out and do the do that work. And then there are people here in the U.S. market who really know how to carry the message and the, and the story, right? The story is what sells at the end. The story of the winery through to the retail level, to the wholesalers, to their representatives, to the retailers, and then finally to the consumers. And telling those stories can be done either by the winery or by winery representatives who are U.S. citizens or who are sent over here periodically to tell those stories. One of the other issues that I've been really energetic about in espousing is the idea of optimizing the way a brand appears online. And that's a whole other subject we won't get 
into it now. I have another uh, webinar that I'm going to be talking about that. And we will be releasing the, the video of my presentation from Wine to Wine. And in my, if you listen in next week, I'll, I'll give you the link where you can listen to that for the people who are listening. That At the end of the day, the winery is responsible for making sure that their product appears correctly online. What I mean by that is the photos that you use are current, but they're also high resolution. They're in the right aspect ratio. So they're not pulled or twisted or, you know, pixelated. That the ratings and reviews are current, that the food and wine pairings, winemakers notes and all that stuff. And there's ways of doing that. And I talk about how you can do that. That doesn't cost a lot of money, does take a bit of time and takes a little bit of technical expertise, but nothing that's not out of the range of grabbing a 25-year-old walking in front of your winery one day to say, hey, can you do this project for me? And it'll take about, you know, like a, a month of uh, five hours a week and they'll be able to get it done for you. We'll talk more about that in another upcoming show, but I, I think it's critically important for producers to recognize they're responsible for optimizing their brand online. So the corollary to that is, is the opposite. Question for you. What is the one mistake everybody seems to make that you wish they wouldn't? Well, let me just back off that just one second, but I know when someone isn't ready for the U.S. market, when they tell me they want to export here and I go to their website and it's all in Italian. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times that happens. You can't rely on Google Translate. You need to, A, okay, you want to sell wine in the U.S.? Don't let me, don't let a consumer click on your website and have it say, Arrivederci. You know, it has to be like, really, it has to be in the U.S., right? Well, that's what they're going to say. Arrivederci. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> so what is the, what is the one thing, one mistake that, well, I mean, that's my big mistake right there. My other mistake is I think that there's too many companies in in every country that try to throw a bunch of things at the U.S. market, a bunch of labels, a bunch of brand ideas. They have, you know, labels. Most foreign wineries, especially European wineries, have tons of labels that they can use. And they come here with 35 labels and they go to a distributor and they put them all down and they go, look at all the things we can do. And you know, Americans are pretty sort of, I don't want to call us, we're, we're narrow-minded. We, we don't want too many choices. We want to be told what the message is and what the brand is. One is too few and three is probably too many. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I, that's right. So I want one or maybe two choices and I want them to be defined and I want them to speak about your brand. And too often there'll be four different labels and this is our line of wines and none of them will have a continuity of of a brand of identity and the american market the u.s market really is driven a lot by brand identity and so you need to look at what you're presenting to the u.s market it might not be the same as what you use in italy by the way it might be different but that's the biggest mistake i see is people not predefining what they're trying to sell the wine is always good but what are they trying to, what message are they carrying? Well, that's kind of the first thing I always ask people is tell me about your wine. And invariably the answer I get is I make really great whatever. Okay. But at this point in the conversation with me and potentially with a, a prospective importer or distributor, whether the wine is good or not is really not relevant to the conversation at this point of time. We assume that you're making good wine. Everybody makes good wine. That's necessary, but not sufficient. What I need to know is the story about why that wine will sell, how it will differentiate itself from others that are on the market, and how that benefits me and how I'll be able to make more money by selling your wine. You answer those questions and you preempt a lot of the questions 
that you'll get of people basically looking for a reason to say no. And then the first question that you get asked in my mind or my experience has been, do you have scores? And for a lot of people, they don't. And then the conversation just ended, right? And I'm not saying scores are a great thing, but if you know that's the first question you're going to get, you better have an answer that ends with yes. <laughs> you, you know, excellent point, Steve. I'm old enough in this industry and have been a retail buyer in an era where we had to actually use judgment about quality of wine on another level, right? Wine would come in and it would be dirty. It would have bacterial infections. It would have re-fermentations. In the era of modern winemaking, that stuff almost doesn't exist. And so we have a quality level and standards that in the last 30 years have just dramatically changed in terms of wine quality. And pretty much everybody has good wine. I don't find anything in the shelves that I don't think is drinkable. I may not prefer it, but what I'm looking for is something more. Why am I want to buy that wine? What is the, like you said it, what is the point of differentiation? Yeah. Okay. My guest this week has been Steve Melchesky, president of USA Wine West, a service importer in the United States. We talked about a lot of things and there's a lot we can go into in depth on, but I think for everyone listening, um, both Steve and I are going to be at Vin Italy next week. So why don't you give Steve an email at steve at USA Wine West, and you can reach me if you want at steve at bevologyinc.com. We look forward to seeing you in Italy. Steve, thank you very much for joining us this week. It's been my pleasure and thank you so much for uh, having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Italian Wine Podcast brought to you by Vigne Italy International Wine and Spirits Exhibition, the biggest drinks trade fair in the world. For more information about Vigne Italy and tickets, visit vigneitaly.com. And remember to subscribe to Italian Wine Podcast and catch us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever you get your pods. You can also find us at italianwinepodcast.com. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.